You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I want us to look at this in Esther. We're going to be in Esther this morning. And uh, Esther was not afraid. Well, maybe she's afraid. Maybe she was afraid, and that's why she asked. It says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And uh, So maybe you can consider tomorrow, which was a day of fasting in Shushan, back ever how many thousand years ago, and uh, maybe you could consider fasting tomorrow for someone, like Esther, um, and we do, we, we know if we perish, we perish, but we also ask that the Lord would intervene on our behalf and show his mercy towards us. It's been really hard to focus and concentrate, so I, I pray that uh, you'll understand that as I as I preach this morning. And uh, I know we've heard some of this before. I don't like to <clears throat> reboot things. I try to give you the fresh news each week as it's revealed through God's Word as I, as I learn and, uh, uh, you know, study the Word and everything. And I want to give you the, the newest and freshest information. But by God's grace, this week is the, is the traditional week of celebrating the Feast of Purim. And so uh, uh, I thought we'd read, we're not going to read the book of Esther, but you can read it this week when you go back home. But for our... I know that a majority of us are not Jews necessarily on this day. The Jew, well, not on this day, but on Wednesday is the actual day. But uh, Monday is the day of fasting before the actual day, and then uh, uh, Wednesday would be the day of, of the feast. And the feast is generally celebrated with you know roast beef and um, this thing called hamantaschen, which is just a little cookie. We made them last year, I think. Renette and, and uh, uh, Jan Coy made some last year. And um, there's kind of a little triangle-looking hat. It's supposed to be Haman's hat or something filled with fruit. Um, you know, you're supposed to have some poppy seeds, this kind of bread. I think uh, Terry's going to tell us about the bread here, challah bread. And, um, uh, and in those things, in the fresh fruit, in those things, we see the blessing of God and the saving of his people and provision for his people. Um, but it's the only book of the Bible, I mean, I, I pray you know this, I pray you've read Esther before, and we've talked about it before from the pulpit. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's name specifically, though we see God's hand of, of working behind the scenes. We see the, the hand of the adversary working behind the scenes, and we see God's hand working behind the scenes. And uh, it's just one of those things that the more times you read it, the more you get out of it. So to read it once a year, to go back and re-preach things out of it, I think is is good. Even Jesus, if you read the devotional, even Jesus uh, acted on the on this feast of Purim 
when he raised the man by the pool of Bethesda, uh, Bethesda, sorry. And uh, in that day, he gave a gift to the poor. He gave a gift to someone that couldn't pay for it himself. Couldn't make it to the water himself. So he takes him to the water. And so it's just a, it is a good day or a good couple of days for you to consider doing something for the poor, um, for you to consider um, fasting, praying for another who is um, helpless like the, the one that lay by the pool there. And just consider that. There is a Hitler, there is an Antichrist in Esther. His name is Haman. And uh, in the Jewish tradition, whenever they said Haman's name, they had this little rattle thing. They would rattle or boo or yell out, you know, negative things. Curse be Haman. And then whenever they read Mordecai's name, they would, they would say, bless be Mordecai, the offspring of Mordecai. And uh, so if you want to boo whenever you hear Haman's name, that's okay. I like that. But it actually says of Haman... In Esther 7, <laughs> 7 verse 6, thank you, my one Jew, man, comes through for me every time. Give me some more Jews in here, man. My one, my one Messianic Jew, he always comes through for us. Um, 7 verse 6, you know, he's going to, Esther 7 verse 6, so, so Esther is going to have this feast, and she's going to invite the king, and she's going to invite Haman, boo, and we're, he's going to have these two here. And she's going to reveal what's going on. King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, we'll call him Xerxes from now on, it's easier to say, but the same guy, Xerxes, says to Queen Esther, who is this man, this destroyer, who would see my people killed and annihilated? I'm just telling you who he's talking about. Who is this man? Where is he? Who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther says, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine, went to the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that the evil was determined against him by the king. The king returned to the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine. Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he also assault the queen? Well, I'm in the house, and the word left the queen's mouth. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And the king says, Hang him on it. <laughs> it's very interesting that his name, the adversary and the enemy. And do we know an adversary and enemy? Who else is called the adversary? Satan's called the adversary. This is a Satan, in Hebrew, the Satan. The Satan of this time is Haman. And, I mean, there's, there's you know, Jewish anti-Semitism that continues today and so on from some other Satan-type person. But there's always been a supernatural battle between God, the Creator, and the adversary. And Esther's story is just another example of the weaknesses of the evil one compared to the Almighty God. So the Jews have been kicked out of the land of promise. For, it's their own fault. They had been blessed, carried in. It was a wonderful place. Grape, you know, bunches of grapes so big that it took two men to carry a bunch of grapes, like a cluster of grapes. It takes two men on a pole. And we would assume that a Jewish person, maybe, maybe a short one is 5'5", five, five, but a surely, 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 sorry, there has to be a six-foot-tall one. So between the average there, say there are two five-eighters, carrying this clump of grapes. you got a five-foot-eight clump of grapes dragging the ground. 
I mean, this place was amazing. Everything was in, uh, what's the word? Not perspective, but in, in dimension with the size of the people that were in that land. It was a land of giants, these big giant people and all their fruits and vegetables. You know, they got 10-pound bananas, you know. It was big fruit. It was big people. And these little people came in there and they got to, they got to rejoice in the fruits of the land. So by the time of Esther, they had long forgotten the blessings of God and has taken them into the land. Just like many of us in America, we do the same thing. It was the land of milk and honey America was, and we've forgotten that. And, and these people, they were removed from the land for two primary reasons. The first was they refused to keep the Sabbath, and the second was they were idol worshipers. Not necessarily uh, ref refusing the God of all creation, but God and having the God of all creation plus the things of the creation that they liked. They, had, they didn't have God as the one true God. They had God and. They weren't willing to have him as their only God. And then God says of himself, I'm a jealous God. Deuteronomy, I wrote it there, 5, 9, if you want to look it up. That's in the Ten Commandments. That's right there at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. I'm the Lord thy God. Don't take my name in vain. I'm a jealous God. You don't get another God. I am God. Even the I am part of the jealous God, if you see it, it's like, it's like the I am statement the, again, the I am. He is the I am, the Elohim. I am the I am. I am, Elohim, is jealous, and you better know that. I don't, I don't share my glory with another. I don't share my majesty with another. I am. And he says, you better get on the I am you know, they got the Trump train. You better get on the I am train because it's the only train there is. Everything else is uh, pales in comparison. So uh, if he saves you and you are his, then he expects your loyalty, not him and another thing, but him because I'm a jealous God. So some of the Jews had already headed back by the time of Esther. Some of the Jews had already headed back to... Uh, uh, the old promised land. It wasn't that great a living back there because everything had been ransacked and burned down and torn down. So you're going back to land, but it's the land of promise. And it's, if you're a Jew, that's where you're supposed to be. I don't know why you're here, Mickelson. You're supposed to be an Israel man in the land of promise. He says he's going to send out hunters and fishermen, and they're going to snag you and drag you back with hooks. Though the Jews are to be in the holy land in that day. And because they would not bow the knee to the Most High God, he scattered them across the nations. And now we got, we got our resident uh, uh, fella here. Because they were scattered across the whole earth because they would not obey. But the ones that went back, they began again to get back in the Word and to try to do things more righteously. And out of that, tragically, is where the Pharisees kind of arise. And they're so trying to do everything perfectly and whatever. And they actually end up messing it up in the other direction by getting super legalistic and rules and tradition oriented rather than again following the most high god but esther and mordecai in my opinion are wicked in the sense in that they stayed they stayed in the land that was easier to stay in they would rather have all the nice things of the land they would rather be named after um these pagan babylonian gods esther after ishtar and mordecai after uh marduk uh, both evil gods. They took on, um, it says that Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah. She has a Hebrew name, but she goes by the pagan name. 
She's so indoctrinated by the culture there, the Jews that stayed, because they liked it. It's better. We got better houses, better groceries, whatever, better climate, I don't know. But they stayed, better protection. They didn't feel uh, nervous that someone else was going to take them out, some other tribe of people. And, uh, and so they stayed. And what they did was they took on the pagan lifestyle of the pagans that also existed in the land there. And so uh, they, they got confused that God was such a small part of who they were as Jews and culture was so much a bigger part of who they were as people that, that they forgot who to call on until they really got in a pinch. So Esther 3, let's just read Esther 3, um, starting in verse 5. We'll get the gist of the story there. Mordecai does a good thing for the king and figuring out that he's going to be uh, assassinated. And he sends word to Esther, Esther a virgin. He, she's very beautiful. Um, Zach told me this morning, he goes, well, this is what I learned from Esther. You know, the beautiful always get promoted to the top. I was like, well, there's other things too. There is other things, but thank God some of us are homely and we're on the bottom. We can at least go out and defend Esther from the enemies and, and keep her in her place of honor there. But in Esther uh, 3, starting verse 5, you see Haman sees that Mordecai would not bow or pay, pay him homage. Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of, of Xerxes there, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king, Xerxes, they cast the pure, that is the lot, uh, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to king Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples and you do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the, Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes called on the 13th day, send the decree out, copy the document. Verse 14 was sent as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, verse 15, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. The people of God were perplexed. Why all of a sudden, in a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, why all of a sudden are we the bad guys? I mean, I'm trying to make it relevant for us, but this, this is what's going on. Man, we made this place. We're great painters. We're great artists. We're great builders. We're good at construction. We're good at design. We're capable farmers. We're able and fit. We're intelligent. We're technologically savvy. Why would the king not recognize that and actually send people to persecute us? Why would he do that? That's what they're thinking. And it's always been this ongoing battle of, of evil against good. And I can't explain it except that it's supernatural. And there's always been an adversary, but there's always been a king. 
And the God, the good King, God the Father, He always wins. But when we're in the battle, uh, it's it's hard to see because we can't see the whole the whole ground. You know, one of those. I think I've told you this before in Roger's Rules of Combat. Um, uh, it's it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the wording. I used to have it memorized. I had to memorize all that stuff in the Marine Corps. But but it went something like, when you're when you're in the heat of battle. And you're running low on ammo, you have no water, no food. The enemy is pressing in on every side. Hang in there. And you feel defeat. Hang in there. Because the enemy is in the same condition. He feels the same way. Whoever hangs on gains the victory. That's how it is. When it's really coming down and you think there's no hope, hang in there. Because the enemy feels the same way. You're both, you're in, that's how battle is. You're sweating and you're hungry and you're stressed. What's his name? Cruz. Uh, he won the Medal of Honor in, in Korea. He was changing his clothes when the Koreans attacked. North Korean Chinese attacked. And he just had his uh, short pants or underwear or whatever on. He was changing his clothes. And they attacked. And in that morning, I mean, it's like minus 20, 30 degrees, right? It's in the snow. He has no shoes or socks on. And he starts laying the corn to the Chinese and fights for like two hours and um, kills a pile of them and gets frostbite in both feet. And he said he never felt his feet. Because <laughs> in the time of battle, that's what you do, is you battle. And at the end of the battle, then you can take care of your feet. And I think in this, in this picture in Esther, we'll see that. But from the garden to Moses, Satan has always been attempting to thwart the rising of a special people. And then from Moses to Kings, he stops. Uh, he keeps trying to stop the prophetic line of Judah. Judah almost gets killed out until Josiah rises up, rises up as king. The, the, the line of Judah was to provide the kings for the Israelites. And they dang near get killed out, and they have to protect Josiah, if you remember. He's a little boy. And then they, the, the priesthood, um, uh, one of the priests comes up and he says, no matter what, you keep this kid alive. And then they seat him on the throne as an eight-year-old. And all those and all those priesthood are like, uh, come on. If you're going to come, come now. And we'll duke it out right now. But he's our king. And once he's established, they get a turning point there. Jesus, or, um, the, the evil one knew that Jesus came from the line of Judah. That the Messiah is going to come from that line. And he's going to do everything he can to snuff the line out. He's going to snuff out God's people if he can't. First, he tries to do it through the, the Nephilim or whatever, the crossing of the, the heavenly beings with the earthly beings. Then he tries to, you know, and so we end up with Noah. Then he tries to cross them out through God's chosen people and the Canaanites and Egypt as slaves. And then he tries to cross them out through Judah and the line of the kings. And then he tries to cross out Christ in the, in the suffering and torment that he's constantly dogging his steps. But he can't do it because the king, the big king, he always wins. I thought it was so interesting. We studied on this uh, Sunday night, and for those of you that weren't there about this rock, uh, on this rock I'll build my church. It's in John chapter 16. But at the end of that, when Jesus reveals this place that he's going to begin to develop his church in Caesarea Philippi, in the area of Galilee, he says, right here in this spot, I'm going to begin my church. But he says something really sly. He says, tell no one. 
tells the disciples, tell no one that I am Jesus the Messiah. Don't tell anybody. I know you know. Don't tell anybody. Why? Because this is a war. If Satan knows that by the death of Christ there is no redemption for men, then he's going to do everything in his power to keep him alive. He's going to do the opposite of what God, God's will is. It's a secret. Nobody knows. Don't tell anybody. I know you know. Have my back. Support me. Come alongside me. Be developed as disciples. Don't tell anybody. i got to make it to the cross. Peter says, um, Lord, may it never be. He goes, shut up, Satan. You're like the adversary yourself. I just told you i got to go to the cross. Get behind me. Fall in line. But don't tell anybody. After the cross, you can tell everybody. But until the cross, we can't let Satan know. It's the battle plan. If he knows, he'll try to stop it. He'll try to change the thing. Jesus goes to the Father. Is there any other way, Father? No, this is the way. Okay, let's go. After the cross, go. Tell all nations. Make disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them everything I taught you. Tell them. Tell everybody. But before, it's a secret. God's always two steps ahead of Satan's every play. I was reading. I want to read this in Revelation 12. Really powerful. Revelation 12. Uh, just start at 9, uh, verse 9 there. So there was a great dra uh, Revelation chapter 12. I'll let you get there. I'm sorry. We know the secret, by the way. Satan knows the secret. The evil one knows the secret. The evil people know the secret. You don't think those jokers in Davos is, have not heard of the Bible or heard of the Jewish people or heard of the Christian people that seek to reestablish the, the, the Messiah on the throne, which is the new heaven and the new earth? Do you think they don't know that? Do you think that part of their game is to eliminate God's people before he comes? Of course it is. 12, verse 9. So the great dragon... The other word is the ferocious. Some, some translations say the ferocious dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night and has been cast down. And they overcame him. The Christians, the believers, the messianics, the Jews, those that recognized Jesus as Messiah, overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. Well, you should be confident. It says right there that they are overcome the evil one is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony of the believers who did not love their lives unto death. Kill me, but I'm going to speak the word. But go ahead and kill me. I would prefer, I'm going to say, I told you before, don't play with me first. Just kill me outright, please. Shoot me in the neck, stab me in the liver, make it, make it quick, right? Don't, don't mess around. Don't cut my toenails off and work your way up. Just... Just kill me outright. But it says that by our death, the Messiah will return. Well, pray for the rapture, man. But prepare for tribulation. 
Look at the world. Look what they're doing to Christians all over the world. I pray the rapture comes and we're rescued out of here. But there's many Christians, thousands upon millions of Christians that have died by the word of the testimony and the blood of the Lamb, proclaiming the word of God unto death. And why are you any better than they? But if you know the word of God, you will not fear death. But you'll be faithful to the end. But it says that Satan knows he just has a limited time. Even if that means a few thousand years. I mean, time isn't... We, we measure time. I mean, the oldest of us in here might live to be 100, maybe. I mean, none of us look that... I mean, just looking around. I love you, man. You're just not that healthy looking a bunch. We, it's not... We ain't making it, man. We're not making it to 150. We're not making it to 1,000. But even 1,000 years is nothing. 1,000 years like a day, and a day like 1,000 years to the Lord. It, with time, we see it as a linear thing, but it's a, a plane. It's eternal in every direction. And only God can see it from above and, and move all the pieces. But it's from eternity past to eternity future, which is forever in the past and forever in the future. And we're in this little dot on a line in the middle of a big plane. We're just a speck. But this isn't it. This is just for now, for here, for now, for a time. And, and eternity is forever. The Bible says, Revelation 13, you're right there, uh, verse 4, it says, um, so they worship the dragon, the, the, those that would not give their authority, their, under, their obedience to the Most High God. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I know who. You know who. But we, we don't have the confidence that we should have in that. We don't have the faith in that. You've got to pick a side. It says, verse 3, the whole world marveled and followed the beast. And it better be the whole world minus you. You follow the Most High God. You don't be an Esther or a Mordecai prior to the persecution that was coming from Haman. Don't be that way. Don't be a wishy-washy, a half-and-halfer or a 80-20. I got God over here in the 20 or 10% or 3% or 1% part that I need. I need salvation but I'm going to live the whole rest of my life any way I want to live it and just do my thing, and that's that. Be 100% or at least 99 and 7-8% sold out to the Most High. We all got the flesh. It's all bad. We're battling it all the time. But be sold out to the Most High God who has all authority, all control, all power, all wisdom, all judgment, true judgment, a prepared judgment for all men of all time. And he has it all. And you're over here fooling around with your little side tomfooleriness, whatever you want to call it. You're garbage over here, and you're not sold out to the one that has all everything. And so when negative things happen, you're not prepared. It says, Revelation 13, verse 7, It was granted to him, the evil one, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. It's appointed once for man to die, and then the judge. You're going to die. You might as well die a hero than a coward be bold live not by lies speak not by lies live by the truth speak the truth fear not what man can do to you the one that has power over your your life maybe but fear the one who has the power to give you life to give you death fear him follow him and forget all this worldly stuff put it behind you even when it looks like there's no hope, God's people must remain loyal to him because he's the victor. 
you got to pick a side, and not picking a side is picking a side. Um, one of the big issues we have in our culture is people are so afraid to tell people that are lost that they're lost for fear of offending them. To tell the homosexual person that being a homosexual in that lifestyle, continuing that sin, is wrong and you're going to die in that. It's going to take your life. But you can be freed from that. Living a transgender lifestyle, no matter how you try to paint it, is wrong because you're, you're fiddling with the creation and the creator and the way he made you and what you are. Well, I don't feel that way. I don't care. Because the Most High God said, uh, you're a, a boy, you're a girl, you're a man, you're a woman. Be that as unto the glory of God. As very best as you can in the body that you are given, I know there's better looking people out there. There's more fit people, there's more healthy people than you. There's wiser people, more intelligent people, people with more teeth, people with better breath, people with better hair, people with more money than you. But he created you to give all glory and honor and praise to him with all that you are with your whole being and when you give anything less than that you're in sin and that's just how it is and you can like that or not but it doesn't make it less true esther and mordecai they were concerned about their lives but they and they respond correctly uh when they begin to do the fasting and praying thing but as things are looking grim and they begin to cast the die you know, Haman casts the die, and he thinks that he's making the call right there. And God's over there. You know, you see that, that die, the, 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 like a die, like dice. And you, you know how they always show it in slow motion, on, slow motion like on a, a movie where they're showing gambling, and they'll show the die kind of bouncing and bouncing, you know, and the guy needs a, a lucky number seven. And it's on a, a five, and the Lord's hand goes, bloop, seven. He's the one that set the date. Haman didn't set the date. The Lord set the date. When men try to do things outside the power of God, you're just... He says he looks at the nations and he laughs. He scoffs. Man, we're so little. The only thing that Haman was waiting for was for the edict to cross the land. And in that time, he'd have been better to go start killing people right away. Because when you wait, God wins. Oh, man. So where was God? The Bible says, Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Haman had worked up the plan, but the plan was God's plan. It was God's timing. You, think about this. This is, this is some next-level stuff for you right here. Because Jesus wanted to heal a man at Bethesda in John chapter 4, John chapter 6 John chapter 5 right he had Haman throw a dice 700 years before so that he could satisfy the feast of Esther 700 years later let that roll around in your marble right there because God's ways are not man's way they're greater they're higher they're more long they're more far-reaching is way in the future Jesus is like, you know what, we need some Jews to be pursued. Why don't we have Haman throw a die in his lap and see what goes on there? And then we'll take it from there. Because i got to heal this man over here to show people that by my very shadow or by the speaking of my word, I can raise a man from death to life. All right, go ahead, Haman, do your thing. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
how big and the in the the mysterious you know magical whatever you want to say the workings of god they're so far beyond our comprehension and then he just does it because that's what he does that's what god does it's it's a big thing uh let's see if i missed something there i did i'm sure but their their concern esther mordecai concern for their lives but they respond correctly when they begin with recognition exhortation and then fasting and prayer and faith and in believing but the last thing that they got to do is they got to act they did all those things they fasted and prayed they went before the king they put their life in peril they did it in belief that god would act on their behalf and then the last thing they see god moving and then they got to they got to get on board they got to go with him and do and follow the king there the general so though god's name may be not spoken there in esther uh, there's no doubt that he alone was working and moving. Let me get back to Esther over here. Esther, Job. Esther, verse four, uh, chapter four. It says, um, "Who else? I mean, who else can you call out to when things are negative? Who else can you call out to? Where can I go but to the Lord? Right? There's uh, there's another thing going on, and this is the." This is one thing I wanted us to catch, and even thinking about praying for Renetta there tomorrow night, fasting tomorrow. People always cry about fasting. They're like, oh, I went a whole day without eating. When the stress is great enough on you, I promise you, you can go weeks without eating. Um, we went more than a week in the Persian Gulf without eating because we took so many POWs that they gave all our meals to them. God bless America. And so we went about a week. I got down to 160. I'm a well-fleshed-out 240 right now just so you know so imagine 160 is very skeletal looking and everybody else was too but when the stress of getting shot is heavy upon you you're not that concerned about eating it's a good weight loss program <laughs> so those that are pudgy may the stresses come upon thee and you can get down into your fighting weight there but the the constant meeting of those people that were persecuted is really key to the working of God in the lives of the people not just his working but their recognition of his working and we put well, a lot of times and I and and you know I got I got in trouble or I would been spoken to severely in the past for saying this but I'm telling you the reason he puts it in the word for not to not forsake the assembling of yourselves one with another there's a reason because it's not just that we need each other we do and the encouragement of the saints but it's how we develop one another in the word of god if we come together every time we came together and we just talked about sports or ridiculous things you know politics or whatever though they do affect us the most critical thing that we come together about is to speak of the most high god and his goodness towards us and and the persecutions that we share together and then we encourage one another and for esther to ask them to fast for her is so is so um biblical if you go to acts chapter 2 that's what they were doing there they were going they were breaking bread they were always in one another's house these people were starving out they had everything in common it said well why do they have it in common because nobody had anything and so about five days into the i didn't mean to tell you war stories but about five days in we get to the airport and things were happening there and man i was like man i am hungry <laughs> and i was like man what kind of what do you got what do you got we came up with a packet of crackers, the, the GI crackers, which are basically like this, only drier and less tasty and uh, really thick. And then one guy had a thing of, of the cheese, which is like when you rip it open, it's just like oil falls out of it. It's super disgusting. 
And man, it was a feast. We split it amongst like six guys. Pack of cracker and a thing of cheese. We were so happy to have it. That was the best cracker I ever had in my whole life. I was like licking the cheese wrapper, you know. It was good. Oh, man. But uh, when you're, when, I mean, but the, the starving together, the suffering together is what brings closeness. It's what brings unity together. We say we can't fast, but I'm telling you, when the stresses of life are real, you can fast. You won't even want to eat. And so uh, thinking about that, it was a good thing for her to call them to because it brought unity in the body. We're suffering together. Now, like I said, I hear people say, oh, I can't fast. Oh, I have a, a blood problem. Whatever. <laughs> we, all, we can do whatever we want to do. We do it in everything else in life. Oh, I'm not supposed to eat salt. And you turn around, they're over there gouging down popcorn. You can do what you want to do, you know. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting how she does that and calls them together. She did have the authority to do that as queen, but she doesn't do it as a, a, a king or queen edict. She gives it to Mordecai as a request. It's not a command. It's a request. Go gather all the Jews and fast for me. I command you to... It doesn't say that. Mordecai, man, go get the team together and let's fast and pray for me because I'm going to go and he may kill me. Okay, I'll go do it. I'll get them together. They'll do it. They'll do it. That's a good thing. They're meeting together. They weren't helpless. They weren't lazy in their own spiritual defense. And though they had been slack in the past and seeking God, now all of a sudden they recognize their need for his care. If you remain completely silent this time, uh, Esther, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Yeah, maybe this is your day. Maybe fasting tomorrow or praying tomorrow or praying for our governmental leaders or praying for our local government or praying for your children. Who knows? Maybe it's for such a time as this. Maybe it's today that you're doing this for. That would be good. So here's some things I wanted you to catch about the people of God caught in a nation that is not of God or no longer God-fearing. Just like in the days of Esther, so the days of today. God's people caught in a godless nation. The first is their need to be set apart. The problem was these people had so much of Babylon on them, they had forgotten what it was like to be special. And many of us have so much of Estados Unidos on us, so much United States on us, that we've forgotten what it means to be set apart, to be a special people, a peculiar people, to be of the royal priesthood, to be of the last name of the Most High God. He calls you sons and daughters. And that we take his name very special and we act in a special way because we're special. We used to call the handicapped kids special. We're, we're, we're not special in a negative. We're special in a positive way. We're not special because we're missing something. We're special because we have everything. But we don't take advantage of the things that we, that we have. It's tragic difficult to be different because nobody likes to be unusual nobody wants to stand out um so we try to blend in and in i'm telling you that you've heard it and I've, I've preached it before from here but that lifestyle evangelism that's a lie yes um live a godly life but don't just try to live a godly life and assume that people are going to get saved because they saw you you know be nice to your neighbor you got to speak the truth. You have to speak to other people 
about the hope that's within you. You have to live in a different way. You can't do it like I said in Corinthians, and such were some of you. You can't be out carousing and living a double life and doing things that, that the world does. So we have to, we, we, we're going to lose out long-term generationally because our kids have seen us live a double life and then our kids live a double life and then it's not long even your kids fall away and they're just living like the world and they're they're questioning you well why why do you do this why would you think that way i mean you're just not being nice to these people because they never grasped who god is and how important it is to be called by his name work on that um it's hard because the Lord's name was once proclaimed openly in our culture, and it's not now. So the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize, the word is recognition, recognize our God and be set apart for him. The second thing is the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Um, in, in that 4.15, it says, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days or nights. I'll fast likewise and then commend yourself to God in that. She calls the believers or calls the Jews in this case to fast. And we, by fasting, fasting without prayer is just dieting. So fast and pray. Jesus tells them, tells the disciples, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast, and a lot of people that are kind of cessationist in their view, they'll say, well, fasting is a thing for the old testament. Jesus said when you fast. So when you fast that implies that you would fast so be fasting and do it fastly and do it with prayer when you fast when you pray when you pray pray to the father pray in this way our father who art in heaven when you do these things do it like jesus identifies to us and do them like that it's easy to do god may be moved god may have moved in the book of esther god may move in this day god may move with renetta in this time whether we pray or we don't. But much more is that Isaiah 62. Did I read that to you? I thought I read that to you last week. I can read it again. It's really good. Everybody's like, finish up already, man. Isaiah 62. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes. When he fills and, and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Is Jerusalem a full praise in the earth? No. Uh, give him no rest. Keep praying. Keep bombarding the, the walls of the kingdom of heaven with your prayers. Don't stop. God may have moved either way. But what faith is renewed in God's people when they pray and when they fast with a purpose in, in heart and then they see God move. And then they say, oh, well, he heard us. He heard me when I cried. It says in 8.17 there of Esther, this is kind of funny because it's not a true conversion, but in 8 uh, verse 17, the, 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 the Jews are free to defend themselves. And in 17 it says, In every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree, decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday, and many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Well, I mean, if you're holding the sword over your neighbor's neck, all of a sudden he's a Christian, right? But also, in this case, many of the people of the land became Jews. In this case, many of the people of the land became believers in Christ 
because they watched believers in Christ. They saw them band together in days of persecution. They saw them following the Most High God. They saw the hand of God's goodness on them. They saw the hand of God's judgment on them. And they said, I got to be with that, that God. That is the God. He's the one, in, he's the one that's driving the boat. I got to get on that boat. I got to quit messing around. Because of prayer and fasting, pagans saw the hand of God move, and they were moved themselves to follow such a mighty and saving God, asking in faith and believing, like it says, Matthew 21, verse 22. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing that you will receive. I'm not trying to go new agey on you. I'm just telling you that if you don't ask, you don't get. And Isaiah tells us to bombard him and give him no rest with your prayer until he acts. And he's going to act in, in whatever way he acts, but give him no rest until he acts. As they said about the king and the woman who just pestered him, she wasn't godly and he wasn't godly. But because the widow was such a pest, he said, I will get no rest until I give this woman uh, <laughs> her, 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 uh, her due. Man. So number one, we need to maintain set-apartness. Number two, fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Number three, there's always risk involved in an action that leads to victory in the life of a faithful believer. Esther had to do the thing that she was fearful of, and that is to go before the king. And then to have the party, you're going to have a, you don't know how that party's going to go. I'm going to invite the king. He thinks I'm hot. Hopefully he'll hear me. I'll wear my best bikini. Maybe he'll, he'll be uh, more open to what I say. But you don't know how it's going to go. Maybe king had a bad day when he comes over there. Maybe he has a couple glasses of wine, and he gets a little off track there. Maybe Haman does something. We don't know. But either way, you've got to act. You can't just sit and assume that everything's going to go your way. The reason we got the government we got right now is because a whole lot of people for a whole long time have just sat and assumed that everything was going to go okay. So that's what you get. Don't act. You get what you get. So Mordecai had to lead untrained civilians into combat against military and civilian enemies. And from chapter 8 through 10, uh, Harbona, the guy that pipes up and says uh, that, uh, um, that there was a gallows that Mordecai had built, he has to speak up. I always thought that was funny because I can just imagine some slave standing over there. He's a eunuch, no real reason to live. He's just standing there, and uh, he figures out what's going on, you know. And he's just standing there. He goes, uh, uh, excuse me, king, uh, he already made a gallows, just, just saying. And then he does it back to being a eunuch, man. That was his day in the sun right there. He made it in the book forever because he speaks, he acts in the right time. He had no right to speak before the king without being asked. Hey, king, just a point. Old dude's got a, a gallows. Man, you got to act. There's always risk involved in action. People are going to shoot at you. People have shot at us before. You're making a mistake to plant a church. Don't be a, don't be a rebel. Don't whatever. Go on mission trips. Why are you going there? I hear people say a lot. There's all kind of stuff needs to be worked on in the United States. Why would you go to Peru? Because there's lost people there. That's why. There's lost people here, but the lost people there actually want to hear it. So, go where the go where the fields are ripe. You know. So, again, we've got to maintain holiness, set apartness, fervent, active, effective prayer. Uh, there's always risk involved, but it leads to victory in the life of a faithful believer. Number four, with miraculous victory comes recognition of the God who saves. And when you recognize the God who saves, when he acts, you follow that by feasting and praise. 
I'm big on feasting. I'm pro-feasting. Uh, that's why I'm shaped like I am. Uh, my children call me pregnant snake. Um, that I like to feast. We need to have good feasts where we eat good food before the Lord and we recognize that it came from Him. That's, it's, it's good. It's biblical. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. The, the book of Acts, read through Acts, how many times they got together and they broke bread in each other's house. Why? Because God had moved one way or another. People got saved. People got baptized. People went to jail. Yay. Go to jail. All right, let's have a feast. Let's break some bread together. We'll talk about the jailbird guy. He's probably proclaiming the gospel in jail right now. That's great. Let's eat some bread. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet, the Bible says. After the Israelites left Egypt, they had a big, like a dance party out in the wilderness. And the Lord provided all the food. It's, it's very biblical. Um, David, after he gets the ark back, after the battle of Jericho, um, when we see good things of God, we, we should celebrate more. We, we're big on celebrating people's birthdays, and all we're really doing is celebrating that they're one year closer to death. We ought to be celebrating, like, uh, <laughs> celebrating the things that God does for us every day. Thank you for giving me breath this morning. I eat this bacon, egg, and cheese bagel in homage to you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to me. I drink my coffee in, in, in just praise to you. Thank you, Lord, for letting me have cream for my coffee this morning for one more day. The breath in my lungs. And, the, you know, the shoes on my feet and so on. We've got to be reminding one another. It's a meeting together again, reminding one another how good God is, how good he's been to us, how he's cared for us so often in the past. We exhort one another. That's where we encourage one another. Hey, man, what are you down for? Well, man, uh, President Biden, man, shut up, man. God's on the throne. Carry on. Well, what the Senate did, who cares? I mean, I care, but it's outside of our control. Pray, fast, exhort encourage peace it's all right revelation 17 14 these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful be with him be of the called the chosen the faithful terrible people are going to keep seeking to harm us in one way or another health problems are going to seek to hurt us one way or another death and taxes are haunting our every step like the wolf and, you know, we win. It was, we're like, we only see the negatives, and yet God is on the throne. He's still in control, and his people are called, chosen, and faithful. Um, if you have Christ as Savior, that's what you are, called, chosen, and faithful. And you need only stand firm until the end, and then there's another feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus celebrated Purim. I told you that's in John 5, if you want to read that first part of John 5. The man that couldn't get into the water. The angel stirred the water. He couldn't get into the water. I wrote a devotional if you wanted, or I can send it to you email if you don't have that. But um, the name of the Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. Um, there's kind of a trick name on the Day of Purim, Yom Kippurim. So Yom Kippur, that's a negative thing, the Day of Atonement. May your name be found written in the book. But on a, a, the Yom Kippurim is a day like Purim. A day when the die is cast, and it comes up lucky sevens. If you're alive today, it came up lucky sevens for you today. Snake eyes may be tomorrow, but for today, it's lucky sevens, right? Give God the glory for that. Jesus delivered all men from their ultimate enemy, that is death. And with his death on the cross, his, mother's, his mother and the disciples, they thought, well, this is it. We, we thought he was the one. John said, are you the one or is there another? And he's like, I'm the one. Don't worry. The blind are seeing. The, death are, the dead are raised to life. Don't, don't sweat it, man. I'm the one. 
you know, if you leave from here, you go to be with me in the heavens. It's no big deal. Um, but like Esther and uh, Mordecai were feeling earlier, they're like, oh man, this is it. If I, um, if I perish, I perish, I guess. But, uh, but God makes a way against impossible odds for his people to be saved. Um, so in this, the, you know, the day of Yom Kippur is a day of fasting. The first day of the Feast of Esther is a day of fasting. But it ends with a day of feasting. And so um, sorrow may be for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We, it's hard not to get tied down. Really, I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm sorry I, get, um, I got emotional there. I just, um, it's not, the emotion is not what you think. I, I do, I don't, I don't have fear. We have the thing of the stress of the unknown thing. I don't really have the fear like you would think about what could possibly happen. Uh, it's really hard to tell other people about it and watch the emotion on their face and watch them get sorrowful. Um, and uh, just when you, you got it handled a little better and you tell someone else and then they, they kind of they, they get emotional. Some people are better than others at disguising that. They're like, oh, man, that's a downer. And other people are just, they just fall apart right there. But either way, they go and, you know, ponder that and weep by themselves maybe. But... Um, uh, I do know that the Lord is in control, that he uh, directs our steps. A man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. I know that's the case. And uh, you can be encouraged in knowing that we know that. We both know that. Our kids know that. And, uh, but uh, to fast and pray is a biblical thing. To ask for his mercy is a biblical thing. Uh, to seek his face more today than we did yesterday is a very biblical thing. And I think we should do that. So I will ask that you would come, or that you would fast tomorrow for us, and uh, and when you're when you're feeling hungry and you're feeling blue, if you would redirect your prayers to the Most High God and ask for His mercy on us and on yourself. There's a lot of things going on in your life that you could do a lot more praying about, and so uh, you use the day as you think. Um, in the busyness of the day, we'll be like I said, we'll be here today at, tomorrow at six o'clock, and I pray that you'll come and pray with us. There'll be some people coming from Central, I think, and maybe somewhere else. But um, but if you would, um, you know, you can come to that or not. Be praying for us during the day. Um, Renette says she can feel your prayers. She can feel when prayer, people are praying for her. Um, if, if you see us looking down, it's more that we know that there's suffering to come. But um, I guess just the unknown of that. So have mercy on us. And as, we, as I preach and stuff, I pray that the, the word that was spoken today is the word that the Lord had for us today. And I pray that it's encouraging to you and that it's edifying to you that you can use it in growing spiritually as you go. I'm going to ask uh, Emily to go ahead and come on. We're going to have communion now. Um, before we begin, uh, I want us to just have a moment where you're praying and you're considering in your spirit if there's a, a thing you have against another man, uh, a hardness of heart, if there's a... Um, overt sin of your life that you've been disguising, you've been hiding from the Most High God, you think you're, you're keeping that, and you're, you're real slick and you're real sly. He, his eyes rove to and fro about the earth. There, you, you cannot hide anything from him. So as you sit there, just in a moment, I'm just asking for a moment there of prayer and silence. Um, pray in your spirit. If you need to pray with your lips, pray with your lips. And ask God to have mercy on you. Repent for the things where you're counter to him. Um, and get your heart right before you come to the table. When you come to the table, just come up the middle. We'll start right here in the front, come up the middle, get your bread, and go around the outsides and have a seat back down.
I'll, uh, I'll pray with you um, before Terry comes. So let's just have a moment and of silence there, and you pray, and then I'll close in prayer, and then Terry will come and lead us in communion this morning. Lord, the Bible says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I'll tell of all your marvelous works. I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I'll sing praise to your name, O Most High. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion, declare his deeds among the people. Do not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. Have mercy on us, Lord, as we come before you this morning. We're going to, we read your word, and I pray that it was a satisfying meal. Now we prepare for dessert as we focus on the fact that you came and gave your life for us on the cross of Calvary so that we could be saved. You never told us to celebrate Easter. You never told us to celebrate uh, Christmas, but you did tell us to celebrate Passover and share communion with one another, the shedding of your blood for the remission of sins. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray for these that are here today, that they heard the word and they would go away glad. I pray they would be convicting in spirit, that they would act in accordance with your will and your word. And I thank you now, Lord, as we begin to break bread together. Um, I pray for this time of communion as we, as we fellowship with one another, as we fellowship with you, Lord, that you would see this as a, a good aroma and you would receive it as it was given to you, Lord. In the name above all names, in the name of Jesus, we pray you here would just come up to the front again and just come to the front take the pieces and